And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. There was debate surrounding Brendan Gallagher's future in Montreal as the cap space that could serve as a weapon for Mark Bergman was fading quickly, but player and organization committed to a long-term deal after a tough start to negotiations days earlier. The problem, how much money do they have left to add more players and which players could be on the way out as a result of this spending? And also, how much better is Montreal today? Episode 241 starts right now. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Lace My Podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. A couple of hockey news uh, made NHL headlines uh, this week, including one from uh, my Ottawa Senators and one from Brett's Bruins. Uh, but uh, the big one was Brandon Gallagher's big payday with Montreal, Brett. Yeah. Also, I guess first we should talk about the fact that there there's a proposal, I guess, maybe Bill Foley may have sneaked it out, but uh, apparently there's a proposal for... Uh, because there's still a Canadian-U.S. lockdown, and if that continues throughout the year, I guess their theory is, is that they're going to have a seven-team division with all the Canadian teams, um, and that's yeah, all that they play with. Yeah, that would make the most sense, I would think, yeah. Yeah, but it would be kind of crazy um, if that were to happen. Um, or maybe they do like just the uh, the Western Canadian teams and the Eastern Canadian teams and maybe Winnipeg belongs in the Western or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly um, it would be an interesting uh, policy and something that makes sense. I'm sure the Leafs are happy about that, cause, but we'll see. I don't know. But speaking of another Canadian team, uh, they made a couple of off-season moves that are kind of interesting right now, and I think they're probably the... One of the more interesting teams in the league right now with, with what they did in the offseason. First off, they made uh, Brandon Gallagher, as, as Steve mentioned, at the hop. Uh, they re- he resigned with Montreal with an AAV of $6.5 million for six years. That's, that's not included with this year, so he's, he's locked up for them for seven more years, t- technically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was... On the, uh, like, before all this, we talked about this a bit last week, but Josh Anderson signs for five years at, uh, sorry, seven years for five million. And then you have Tyler Toffoli. 5.5 million, just yeah, a little sorry. bit more. But yeah, still, over five million, that's a lot. Yeah, for seven years is the bigger um, aspect to this. True, yeah. Um, and Toffoli gets... Uh, 4.25 million for four years and so then once these two signings happen then you were thinking like well does this mean that Gallagher is gone um, and in fact there were reports that Gallagher and uh, uh, blanking on his why am I blanking on the guy's name Mark Bergevin's name um, like there were like those talks have closed and then the next day we find out that Gallagher is being signed for six point five million for six years, as I just said, so so that's a lot of money. Um, and and Gallagher does earn that. He's one of the more underrated players in the league. He's kind of he plays in the style of Brad Marchand, Tom Wilson. Just gets under your skin. Matthew Kachuk's another one. Uh, just gets on your skin, but is 
like good at offense too. So it's he's not just like a pest. Yeah, I mean, he's he's more than a pest. He's just like an offensive weapon as well. So uh, yeah, he's he's a very good defense uh, forward, and he's worth that much money. Toffoli gets a little bit inconsistent, but at four years for four point two five million, that's not too bad. The bigger one is Josh Anderson, um, who yes, he had a he had a twenty seven goal season the year before that, but he got injured this past year, which is a red flag. But he also had four points in those twenty six games that he played last year, uh, despite being injured for that long. So. He's never even gone past the 50-point mark in a full year. So so those are the more questionable ones. And not to mention the fact that the Canadians drafted this guy last year in Cole Caulfield, who's one of the better prospects in the league, but he's a right winger. I'm sure he's going to take another year in Wisconsin if there is more college hockey uh, to come, or maybe he goes to the AHL. If there's AHL, uh, if there's an AHL season this year, but you know, <laughs> that's another right winger that they have to worry about, and I don't know how they're gonna fit all those guys in. So the first question I have to ask you is: Will those three signings work out? Any of the like? Let's I guess we can take it one at a time. Will Gallagher work out? So the thing about Brendan Gallagher is he plays this interesting crash and bang style of hockey on top of offense. And we've seen with Dustin Brown and Mele Lucic, when you hit 30, yep. uh, at some point, so this thing called offensive regression hits you. And it can hit pretty quickly. And within a couple of years, you're not the same player. Um, Brendan Gallagher, at the moment, is 28 years old. By the end of this deal, he's going to be 35. Yeah. The contract breakdown, 5 million year one, 6.5 million year two. Then you got the big ones in year three and four, where he gets 8 million in year three, 9 million in year four, and then 6.5 million year five, 4 million to close it out in year six. Um, so, like, in is probably like age 33 of 34 around there. He could be on the tail end or just starting a season where he's getting paid like eight or nine million dollars. Um, at that point, how effective of a player offensively is Brendan Gallagher going to be? Because his first season in a lockout shortened season, he got 28 points in 44 games. Um, he was fourth in NHL rookie scoring, second in goals by a rookie that year, and 17 shots behind the league leader amongst rookies, Jakob Silverberg, who was with the Sens at the time. Uh, and that was for a guy who averaged just under 14 minutes per game and averaged 2.65 shots on goal per game in that reduced season. So already he was starting to show signs he was going to be an effective player. At that time, you guys, they had Thomas Placant still putting up points. They had Max Pacioretty, who was starting to establish himself as a legit goal scorer for them. Then you get to 2013-14, his second year, where he has 41 points in 81 games, 19 goals, so just shy of a 20-goal season. But he has 211 shots and eight power play goals. 
And in the playoffs, he had 11 points in 17 games with their, with another 38 shots. So at this point, his ice time is around like 16 minutes a night, still playing that crashing and banging style um, and being a pest, but also backing it up with points. And Pacioretty had uh, 10 power play goals that year. Um, and considering Gallagher had eight power play goals, like near the top with Max Pacioretty and goals, uh, that's that's pretty good for a guy in his second year. And then you get to year three where he has 47 points in 82 games, 24 goals, um, again, averaging 16 minutes per game, 254 shots this time. So he's creeping up uh, Max Pacioretty's doorstep um, with those shot totals. Again, uh, kind of dips a little bit to 173 shots in 2015-16, 19 goals and 40 points. He only played 53 games, which means he was averaging like around three shots per game at that point. He had seven power play goals. So Brandon Gallagher in the short amount of time that he played was still a pretty good offensive player. 40 points in 53 games, that's what, like an average of like close to 60 points that's pretty solid yeah uh 2016-17 a little uh, this is a significant dip only plays 64 games only gets 10 goals and 29 points but still posts 187 shots so near the top of the leaderboard with patcheretti and his ice time also dipped by uh, a minute 29 seconds so that's a significant dip there then we get to the three seasons where he really breaks out 2017-18 habs are not a playoff team He gets 31 goals, 54 points in 82 games, 278 shots, 90 hits, and 17 points on the power play, eight of which are goals. He's averaging 16.09 per game at this point. Pacioretty and Galchenyuk failed to score at least 20 goals. So Brendan's leading the roster with 31 goals and was one of their top performers in just all-around points and was nearly averaging three minutes of power play time. So overall, his numbers were better than Pacioretty. That probably plays a factor in Pacioretty getting traded. So then 2018-19 rolls around. Once again, Gallagher's a 30-plus goal scorer. He has 52 points in 82 games this time. Over 300 shots. First time he breaks the 300-shot barrier. And he has 126 hits on top of that. And just a slight increase in ice time, only by 15 seconds. Didn't do a whole lot of damage on the power play, but everywhere else he was great. And then you have this year where he gets 226 shots, 22 of which go in the back of the net. And he's nearing like 17 minutes per game. And once again, is one of Montreal's best players. You look at guys like Philip Deneau, who is a solid two-way center, and Thomas Tatar. I don't know so much about Philip Deneau, but what are the odds that Thomas Tatar's point total benefited from Brendan Gallagher? If you look at his numbers this year, one of the best in his career. He set career highs in each yeah. and every single season he's played for the Habs, which is two. And Brendan Gallagher has been his linemate almost the entire way. So there's no doubt that the Montreal Canadiens thrives off of what Brendan Gallagher brings. It's just going to be a matter of, in four to five years, what's Brendan Gallagher's play going to look like? So that's the big question mark. Because you know more often than not what Brendan Gallagher is going to bring. I think the bigger question is the hands of time and what it does to... Um, his level of play, his production, and all that stuff. Yeah, no, that that you do bring up a good point that he definitely earns that contract because he's he's one of the 
better Habs skaters or Habs forwards, to say the least. But um, there is that, like, a player like him could wear out towards the end of his career, and, like, he can't play that type of style anymore. So it all depends on if he can be, like, more of a playmaker uh, versus just the physical attributes that he has been capable of um, in the past couple of years. But I, I think he's definitely earned it, um, and I think they'll they'll have a good, like, the last, the, he'll, he'll make up for it for the first couple of years in the contract, but it, it is a little bit more, starts to get a little bit more risky once he starts getting to be, like, 32 years old or older, um, where you're like, what, when will he drop off officially? So, uh, but I think it is worth it just considering how consistent he has been in the past. Um, and then you get to Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson, who, I mean, I don't want you to get into a full spiel on either one of these guys, but, because uh, I sort of already have, but uh, for Josh Anderson, you know, I think we talked about this a bit last week, he, you know, he had four points in 26 games last year, he, he was injured a lot uh, for most of that season and didn't do well, so he does, he is a candidate for... Uh, a bounce back season, but even still, he's making five point five million dollars per year, and his uh, and for seven years, so he's only had pretty much one good season, which was last year, um, which was forty seven points in eighty two uh, games, um, and you know so. And also keep in mind the fact that like he was playing with Panarin and Duchesne um, and and all those guys, um, and where he didn't get the benefit of the doubt this year. So that that's another thing to consider. Um, I, I think he could bounce back. I know the Bruins were seriously considering trading for him, and I, I imagine the, the Bruins or the Habs weren't the only teams that were considering trying to get him. However... I don't know, um, it, it feels like that's a lot of long-term for this contract for him, because it's, it's a pretty risky move for, for Mark Bergevin, um, and it's not something that I don't think he necessarily needs to make, because I think they could start focusing more on centers or left-wingers, um, and, and stuff of that nature, so, uh, what do you think of Josh Anderson? So Josh Anderson is probably the most interesting signing of the bunch, as yep. you mentioned, Brett, because you look at uh, um, year by year how his contract breaks down. Years three to five are the ones I want to focus on. Sure. Seven million in year three, eight million in year four, seven million in year five. We're going to talk about Cole Caulfield in a little bit. Josh Anderson is a right winger. Cole Caulfield is a right winger. So is Brendan Gallagher. Yep. So and Tyler at Toffoli. one point. <laughs> Uh, well, Toffoli was asked if he could switch to left wing, oh, which making... he played a little bit of left wing in L.A., so it seems like for the time being, Toffoli oh, is going to play him? on the left side. But I'll get okay. to the left side of the wing when we get to Toffoli because that's also pretty interesting. Sure. The bottom line is, in a couple of years, one of Cole Caulfield's, who is probably the closest thing to a legit goal scorer as you can find in that draft class that he was a part of in 2019. Yep. One of him, Brendan Gallagher, or Josh Anderson is going to be on the third line. Yep. 
So if Josh Anderson's on the third line, you're paying him seven million dollars to be on the third line. That's not good. Well, you're paying him five. Canadian. You're paying him five million, five point yeah. five million. But even well, five point yeah. five million, yes, per year. Yeah. But in year three, year four, and year five, it's around seven to eight million. Yeah. Which is a lot of money to commit to oh, for yeah, a third yeah, yeah. line that's, guy. That's a good point. Yes. Um, but again, to your point about Artemi Panarin, he didn't really play with Artemi Panarin. He was more along the lines of playing on the line with uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand and Boone Jenner, um, a little bit with Matt Duchesne when Matt Duchesne came on board, um, Nick Felino as well. He played a little bit with him. So he wasn't really on Artemi Panarin's line, but Artemi Panarin was driving the offensive um, uh, cogs. He was driving the wheels of that Columbus offense. And you look at the years where Panarin came into play and you look at Josh Anderson's stats, it's pretty alarming. Like 2016 17, so this is yep. before Panarin came into the fold. Josh Anderson had 17 goals, 12 assists, 29 points in 78 games, 119 shots. Not bad. Considering he barely did anything on the power play, that's pretty good. Yep. 2017 18, this is year one with Panarin. 19 goals, 11 assists, 30 points in 63 games. 188 shots and only four power play points, but his 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 ice time skyrockets from an average of 12:01 to an average of 18:02. That's a jump of six minutes, Brett. That's yeah. a lot. And he's also racked up 109 hits in 2017-18. So he can also, like Brendan Gallagher, he can also lower the boom a little bit. And the year prior to Panarin's arrival, he put up 147 hits in 2016-17. So then we get to 2018-19, where he has 214 hits, 230 shots, 27 goals, 20 assists, 47 points in 82 games, averages 17.01 this time, and a little bit of power play damage, three goals, four assists, seven points. So that's his most effective season. Then we get to this year, where he's injury-riddled, Panarin is gone, Duchesne is gone. He only plays in 26 games. Post 63 shots, that's pretty good. 68 hits, pretty good. One goal, three assists, four points. His first 13 games, he only got two points. The following 13 games, got two points again. Yeah. So when he was on the ice this year, he struggled. And this was around the time where Columbus was struggling to find their offense. So I guess you could you could come up with an excuse. But either way... Four points in 26 games is four points in 26 games. It does not look good on the resume at all. No. So what's going to happen if you put him on the third line, not putting him on the top six, not putting him on the power play, then what's he going to do? Like what's 5.5 million doing for you on the third line? Right. That's the question with Josh Anderson. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and he's also only he's also only two years younger than Gallagher. He's twenty six years old. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, it's still pretty young, so it maybe yeah. it will end up but working. But not much out. younger than Gallagher. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> your your audio quality just went crazy there. <laughs> but yes, no, you're right. Not not as uh, as productive as Gallagher has been, but I, I mean, like I I think. I remember back when Anderson was, like, before this trade and sign, um, I remember thinking, like, oh, Anderson could bounce back if he's on the right team. I'm not sure if it, he's going to fit in the Montreal Canadiens because I think 
it all depends on like the centers he's working with, how much chemistry he has with them. I'm not necessarily convinced on the centers that we have, they have, which um, we'll get to in a second. But um, yeah, so I guess there is a potential that he could, um, he could be decent. But yeah, if he's going to be on the third line, then that's <laughs> that's one of the worst contracts in the league. Um, so so we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's less about the 5.5, but more about the term, um, where it's like seven years and you're you're paying this guy a lot of money to not be in your top six. It's not a great look. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more money and more term than you're giving to Toffoli. Right, right, and we're about to get to Toffoli right now. Uh, Toffoli's mm-hmm. actually hasn't been, like, he's he's also pretty underrated compared to all these other three Um I wanted the Bruins to get him as soon as they were out at, at the Taylor Hall trade uh, signing, but it looks like he's going to a divisional rival again. Um, and yeah, he he did have he had one thirty goal season um, in 2015-2016. Uh, he also had a, a twenty four goal season in twenty seventeen. Um, so he keeps, he has decent numbers, but like the last, I mean, to his credit though, it's like the Kings aren't necessarily known for their offensive potential. Um, so he's given that he's only reached the fifty point mark once um, in his career, and that was in 2015-2016. Um, and he's been okay ever since. Uh, he did go to Vancouver and had ten points in ten games. Which was pretty pretty good, um, and to the point where I guess uh, like there were rumors that Jim Benning was going to sign to Foley and trade Brock Besser instead, which was a little bit crazy. But um, I could actually see that ha- I could have seen that happening. He was he was pretty decent there, but um, at the same time, it's you know he's twenty seven years old right now, so he. Um, so he's a he's one year younger than Brendan Gallagher, one year older than Josh Anderson. I I was going to make the case that like considering that they were all right wingers, but I guess you just said that they uh, Toffoli would be willing to play on the left side. So I guess that changes things. Um, so yeah, I I think this was a good signing though, especially with the amount of uh, it's, he's only going to be paid four million per year, uh, 4.25 million to be exact. So, so that's not too bad. Um, I, I like the signing for them and he can he could probably fit in their system pretty well. Um, but at the same time, it's like the Habs have on the left side, they have Thomas Tatar and Jonathan Drouin, um, on their top two lines. So maybe they they move uh, Tyler Toffoli instead of Duran. Uh, that that could certainly be possible. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But I I like that signing of the three, uh, the best. Yeah. For out of the three, I I think that's probably the most efficient. And you alluded to my other point. One of Duran Tatar and Toffoli is going to be playing on the third line. Yep. What's also important to note is that Thomas Tatar is on the expiring deal of his contract, which is a cap hit of $4.8 million. Yeah. And the past couple of years, like I've been saying, Tatar set career highs in both of them. So 
if if you're talking about guys that could be on their way out, because the the thing about the Montreal Canadiens is with this kind of cap space, they've kind of eliminated what they can add. They've pretty much added all they can for this year, for right. the most part, and we'll get to the cap situation later on. Um, but if you're looking for guys that could be on their way out to come up, and that's Thomas Tatar being one of them, I think it could get some serious value if you strike while the iron's hot. The other is Philip Deneau, who got quite a bit of Selkie votes. There are not currently discussions planned to talk contract extension. He's also on the expiring year of his deal, which only carries a cap at just over $3 million. The guy got Selkie votes last year. Yeah. One of the best two-way forwards in the game, very underrated, and contending teams could use him. So if they're looking to kind of like fix the left-wing situation, maybe Tatar gets traded um, the way that Nick Suzuki has played as well, kind of makes Deneau a little bit expendable there um, if he continues to play well. Um, so I, I think the upside for Toffoli is probably best utilized on the top six. But again, like 10 points in 10 games, he was playing with JT Miller and Elias Pedersen, one yeah. of which is a star in the making. The other got hard trophy votes this year, the other being JT Miller. And even look at Bo Horvat, a salt two-way forward in his own right. He spent time with uh, Toffoli when he was in Vancouver as well. When he was in L.A., like he was playing with Jeff Carter frequently in Los Angeles, but he was also playing with guys like Adrian Kempe, Kyle Clifford, and Tanner Pearson. So it wasn't a consistent top six feature. Yep. Ultimately, Tyler Toffoli is a guy that can maybe get you – I don't know, 45 points a year, maybe closer to 50. His career high is 58 from 2015-16. Um, he's hit slash surpassed 23 goals on four different occasions. His personal best is 31 goals, also set in 2015-16. And if you need a guy to generate shots on goal, he can certainly do that. Um, in his second year of NHL duty, average just under 13 minutes per game, 95 seconds of power play time per contest, Still managed to post 124 shots in uh, in that reduced workload. Uh, the next year, where he gets 26, uh, 23 goals and 49 points, excuse me, over 75 games, his ice time is only 14 minutes, 35 seconds per game. His power play time slightly decreases, and he still gets 197 shots. Right. And pretty much every season since then, he's been a guy that gets you at least 200 shots a season. So I can definitely see the upside in the top six. But I think that's mostly where he can do the most damage is in the top six. I don't know if he can do what they want um, at what or what they expect of him as a third-line player. That's that's the question for him is can he be like a 25 to 30 goal guy in a third-line role? Yeah, the thing, I guess, I'm not necessarily sure if, I know that Drewen had a sort of a lackluster season this year. So I'm not, maybe they move to Foley up um, if Drewen continues to struggle um, and, and put him on the second line there. Um, or, or maybe if, if Tatar struggles, and or like you were saying, like Tatar may get traded, um, maybe they move him up uh, to the top six, and maybe that, that will be the option there. Um, so, but I, I think it, it's a decent contract for a third-line guy. And it's also like I'm I'm thinking about this here is that I guess we'll get to Cole Caulfield and they do have Philip Deneau they do have Nick Suzuki 
Um, and maybe they have, if Kaka Niemi can be that guy that they want him to be, he could be a decent third-line center for them as well. So, like, that's a that's a pretty good, like, three lines for, for the Canadians um, if, if Cole, Cole, in a couple of years, assuming that they keep these these players. Uh, you have Gallagher, Tatar, and maybe Deneau or Suzuki up front. Then you have Druen, Josh Anderson, and Deneau or Suzuki, whoever, you know, take your pick. And then you have um, Caulfield, uh, Toffoli, and then Kotka Niemi um, on your third line. So you let the, the prospects kind of develop um, and get used to the NHL before they um, really take over and become stars. Then you're, you're working with something. At least that's like a ton of depth uh, for, for the Canadians. But all that has to come into fruition here. Uh, but anyways, that kind of leads us to our ne- my next question here. Because <clears throat> Cole Caulfield, um, he, he's going to take another year um, at the University of Wisconsin. But his freshman year at college was already pretty good. Uh, he had 36 points in 36 games. 19 of those were goals. 17 assists then. Um, and then he also played a bit in the World Juniors with two points in five games. So he, uh, and as you've mentioned before, he's he's a bit of a goal scorer. He was one of the best goal scorers, if not the best goal scorer in that draft of 2019. So they kind of lucked out with, with drafting him in the 15th overall pick there last year. Um, so he's also a right winger. Right winger, he could also be a left winger, I, I suppose. Um, maybe, I don't know how this works. But, uh, but maybe they, I guess, he was told to take another year because I don't necessarily think that he's necessarily ready right now. Um, and But it is going to be something to think about in the future because with uh, Gallagher signing a long-term deal, Josh Anderson signing a long-term deal, to fully signing like a, a somewhat long-term deal, I guess not as long as the other two, but still somewhat long-term. Uh, Caulfield is bound to be ready at least until before Toffoli's contract is up. So, so he'll, that's going to be an interesting situation. I guess I did already mention that I guess having him on the third line isn't so bad because you can get him used to the NHL uh, without a ton of pressure on him to be the guy right away. Uh, but it is definitely something that they'll have to think about because this guy is going to be pretty good in the NHL once he's ready. Yeah, and that's and that's uh, the whole debate um, with with Anderson and Gallagher is like you're not just going to stash Cole Caulfield in the third line because you're paying guys in the first line, second line over six million. Like Montreal needs goal scoring. Period. Yeah. And already provided that for years um they they've been dying to find like a 40 goal or 50 goal score for years if cool caulfield fits that description you don't put him on the third line just because of his payroll you're gonna put him on the first or the second line because he's gonna put the puck in the net right so that could pose 
a problem for them down the road. I guess maybe with Jonathan Druin, there's a bit of uncertainty there because he has another three years left on his deal. Right. So by the time Cole Caulfield is ready, maybe you move one of Gallagher or Anderson to the left side if Druin doesn't come back, and then Caulfield becomes a fixture in the top six on the right side. Or you move him uh, to the left side, perhaps. Yeah. Um, because at, at that point, um, the future of Tatar will be decided. As I mentioned, he's on the last year of his deal. Um, so I think Tatar could be expendable, and maybe Jonathan Druin. It depends on how the next couple of years go, because I, I think there's a lot more to give um, uh, from Jonathan Druin's perspective. I think he's been great, but I... I I, I think at, at least good, but I think he can be greater than what he's shown. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Drouin hasn't necessarily lived up to what he's done yet. He had like 15 points in 27 games this year, so uh, that's it's okay. It's not great, though, but like in perspective, he's not even in the top 10 for the Habs in scoring this year. So, so that just gives you something to think about. But yeah, no, I, I guess you do have a good point that like if... Caulfield pans out, then he's like he's too good to be on the third line, and then I guess you just move Anderson or um, or Gallagher on the third line. But at the same time, I, I, I he is also like a five nine player, um, and I don't know necessarily believe that you should rush him into the league right away. He's 5'7". Right. He's not even 5'9". So, like, and there is definitely a possibility that he's not going to be good right away. Um, even when they do, like, you know, there's no rush to put him into the lineup because then you can, like, ruin his development if you do that. So, I, I don't necessarily believe in making him in the top six as soon as he's in the NHL. I'm not sure if that's the smartest idea Having said that, like if he's good, he's good, and you know, then then maybe they are, uh, then maybe it will work out for them. But I don't know if it's necessarily something that um, they necessarily want to do uh, just for for development's sake. Um, mm -hmm. But and that's yeah. and that's where you get to the debate of like um, reality versus potential. Right. And it, like I mentioned last week, I think the potential for greatness is there with this top nine, but we haven't seen it on full display. And until we see it, it's really tough to tell. Yeah. Um, because like Toffoli and Anderson might be good players yep. and Gallagher might be a good player. And, and Tatar and Druin have shown at times they can be good players as well. Yep. But like, how does that all fit together? Like, can this team, this top nine, put it together? Like how much better are they today than they were a couple of weeks ago before all these moves were made. Are they able to compete with teams like Tampa and Toronto and Boston? Are they on the same level as teams like Florida and Buffalo that are on the cusp of maybe being in the top three, but we don't know? Yeah. Because this is still a tough division. Like, there's very little give and take here. Well, I mean, it's a tough division, even though it has the Sens and the and the uh, Red Wings in it. But yes, you're, you're right. It's um, I, I guess... Like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is just having, like, the, a strong top nine. Like, I'm looking at, speaking of which, like, I'm looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, and a big reason why they were able to win the, the Stanley Cup this year and are, were one of the best teams in the last two years 
um, is their their depth. Their depth was phenomenal, and you know yep. they had guys who could score on the third line, um, and and that's important. That becomes important in the playoffs too because. Like, you know, you're playing, like, if you're on the third line, you're probably playing against weaker opponents or players who aren't, you know, you're not taking as seriously as your top guys. So that's where depth comes in. And so if you have a guy like Toffoli on your third line or a guy like Caulfield on your third line, even uh, with all the potential stuff, like, that's that's not too bad um, for a third line or just for depth purposes. And not to mention the fact that, well, one, I guess we're about to get into it, but Kotkaniemi, we don't know what's going on with him because he's also another risk there because he's going to be in the AHL for a bit. Um, and then you also have the factor of, like, they have Shea Weber uh, locked up for a couple more years um, at $10 million. Um, He's been worth it. Or, sorry, $7 million. Um, So he's been worth it... Uh, right now but he could he's also 35 years old so he they also uh, yeah. re-signed uh, jeff petrie to a four-year yeah, deal and gave one. him a no move that cap hit is 6.25 yep. million and, and he's gonna be 33 soon so at the end of that deal he'll be what 36 37 yeah and then i'm not even talking about the fact that they have carrie price for 10.5 yep. million for yep. even longer and he's 33 years old, so he could still be... He, I mean, he had, didn't have a great year this year, but um, he could do decently with Jake Allen, um, even though Jake Allen is going to be... I guess he has four, he's making $4 million this year, but next year he's going to be making a little bit less for $2.8 million. But still, like $12 million for goalies, and then you have Caden Primo in the mix, too. So, like, that's a lot of money for... For these defensemen and, and Carey Price, who's aging, and you never really know how good they're going to be in a couple of years uh, when Caulfield and Kotkaniemi meet their potential. So, so that's another and factor. To continue with that trend as well. Speaking of defense, like you look at their depth defense, they're yep. paying Sherrod three point five million for another couple of years, yep. and they just signed Joel Edmondson to a four year deal with the same cap hit. Yeah, that's as a Chirot. good example. So. Yeah. Even with their depth defense, they're giving a lot to them. Yeah, so they might eventually have the problem that the uh, Leafs are having, except the uh, where their defense may may struggle a bit. But at the same time, it's like their offense, least off the Leafs offense is a lot better than the Montreal mm-hmm. Canadiens. And then offense. and then you'll have to re-sign the young guys like Hockenyemi, and you also have Jake Evans uh, on eventually. top of Nick Suzuki and Romanov yeah. too. Yeah. So, speaking of which, you mentioned Nick Suzuki. Uh, he he had a breakout year this year um, where he had... Hold on, let me... I thought I had it here. Um, <laughs> I had his stats. Oh, there it is. I think he had at least 40 points. 41 points in 71 games, right. uh, which is really good uh, for a rookie. Uh, I think he had, like, he was fourth or fifth in uh, rookie voting, too, or something like that. Um, he's kind of been the center that they've been looking for um, when, when he was involved in that Max Pacioretty trade. So that seems that seems to be a deal that has worked out for both sides of the coin. Um, and then they also have uh, Jesperi Kakinemi. He was sent down um, towards the end of the year. Um, 
or sorry, in the middle of the year. But when he was in this, uh, when he was playing this year, he had uh, eight points in thirty six games, um, and I think he had a pretty good uh, AHL, rec- uh, you know, standing. So there is a chance that he'll be decent uh, when when that you know if he comes up with that and learn mm-hmm. from what he was doing in the AHL. Yeah, he had uh, thirteen points in thirteen games at Laval. So, yeah. so and also had a big playoff with the Habs. He was in uh, their playoff run and did pretty well. Yeah, that that too. So, yeah, it, there, it's very possible that uh, you know Kakinami could pan out, but he's also risky too in in terms of development. So you never really know with him. Um, and then you also have Philip Deneau, who you mentioned. He was fourth in voting for the Selkie. There is a possibility that I, I guess there's rumors that they're probably going to trade him, which I'm not sure if that's the smartest idea. Um, he was their second best scorer in the on Montreal, even though he had 47 points in 71 games, so that's that's pretty good. But um, and he's like a he's one of the better faceoff guys in the league, and they finally found their guy. Um, but you know, and Suzuki's also pretty good too, but. I'm not necessarily sure if they should trade him because it seems like he he's a guy that you should keep in their system, um, you know, even longer because he does more than just scoring and, and stuff of that nature. He can he can uh, do faceoffs as well, so that could come in handy eventually for him. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I, I guess. So the question here is: Should they focus more on center, or like what do they do, like? Should they trade Dino? Um, well, it obviously depends what the tr- return is. I think they'd probably be wise to trade Thomas Tatar um, yeah. before trading Philip Dino and see what you can get out of him. Um, because the past two years have been great. I don't know if he can replicate what he's done the past two years. That's a thing. So um, at least with the system that Montreal has, there's going to be give and take. There's going to be one of the guys, maybe two, that you're giving a lot of money to that isn't going to be performing. And I think um, Thomas Tatar can perform in, in, in the right position. And if you take him out of the top line, I feel like you kind of limit what, uh, what you can get out of him. So um, I think in a contract year where you're probably not going to be able to afford him anyway, you might as well strike while the iron is hot, like I said, and and uh, get some futures for him if you can. And maybe one of those futures turns into a center. But um, I don't think there's really anything they can do other than just trust what they have because um, I don't think they really have that much of a choice. And I think uh, it would be a bigger risk to keep Tatar and lose to no than to lose to no and keep Tatar. So I think I would start with uh, – taking care of the Tatar stuff first before focusing on what happens with Dano. Um, because he would definitely be a guy that I would prefer the Habs to keep um, for the long term uh, as opposed to Tatar. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tatar is another interesting one. Although he he also, <laughs> I feel like that might also be a mistake. So he had 61 points in 68 games this year. He was, he was one, he, you know, that's... That's really, really good, uh, for especially for like an offensively starved team like the Habs. So I'm not necessarily sure if Tatar makes sense 
to trade because I think feel like that's another one that you should probably take. But maybe, I mean, I guess if you have to trade someone, is maybe see what you can get out of Tatar, maybe see what you can get out of Dano, maybe even see what you can get out of Druen. Um, yep. Because I feel like Druen's one of those guys who just needs another change of scenery, maybe. Um, and, and, you know, maybe they, and someone will, some team will be like, oh, we can fix them or something like that. And, and it's their it problem. Should, it should also yeah. be worthy of noting because of the expansion drafts in Seattle coming up, you have Gallagher, Petrie and Price all on no moves. So they're automatically protected. Oh, that's a good point too. So you can either, you can either go eight forwards or eight, eight scares and a goalie or seven forwards, three defense and a goalie. So with Jake Allen, Already, they have a goaltender to expose because Caden Primo is exempt. Who, speaking yeah. of futures, they need to watch his development as well. Um, but one of those forwards could be available for Seattle to take. So the last thing you want to do is to be put into a corner where you have to give up futures so that Seattle doesn't take your guy that you fear they might take otherwise. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, no, the, the Seattle factor. Although I guess, like, I wonder how many, how much of a factor Seattle is, is taking on all these guys because that could affect like if play if teams want to like put in their young guys because then that makes them exempt or not. But, um, but yeah, I I guess that that is a good point with. There, there are teams like Ottawa that have a lot of young players that yep. they're gonna have to protect. Like, not all of Ottawa's young prospects there are some but not yeah. all of Ottawa's young prospects are exempt from this thing yeah and Montreal could um could have a, f- a future star exposed if they pr- if they choose to protect one of their veterans so um that it could be a matter of okay which t- which contract is Seattle not going to take so they might point to someone like Josh Anderson or maybe uh someone like Jonathan Druin who knows um, it, it depends on what um, they think Seattle might go for and what other options are there besides Montreal. Like, oh, this, this Philip Deneau kid might be good, but there's there's this other guy that we have our eyes on that we might take instead of Deneau. Right, right. But that's, that's how Vegas got so good. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, in, so, I, so the Can- Canadians are just under the cap at the moment. I, I think they they could probably get away with not doing any more moves, technically speaking, but they might make another moves. I guess if they're going to do one, it might be Tatar, it might be Dano, it might be Adrian, and see what, if there are any takers. But I, I guess they they don't necessarily need to make them any more moves because they already did a ton already in this offseason. So maybe the, they're just not... I'm going to do that, but we'll see. Um, okay, so Dadanoff, uh, in other NHL news, Dadanoff is going to the Sens for three years at $5 million. This is kind of a bit of a shock uh, just because, you know, like the, the Sabres with Taylor Hall, you know, you go to the Senators and they're not going to be competing this year either. No offense, Steve. But... <laughs> Um, but so it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Nothing I've never heard in my life. Yeah, no, I I figured you would say that, but um, 
Yeah, it's so it's a little bit of a strange move for Dianov to go to that, especially since he's like 31 years old. You would think that maybe he wants to go to a cup contending team, but at the same time, I can kind of understand what he's going about. He's going about because first off, the Sens were like they needed the cap room. This is a flat cap right now, so it's not a lot of teams can afford to pay Dianov what he wants. So maybe he uh, decides to go to the Sens for a couple of years. And, um, you know, they do have a lot of different prospects going on right now. You know, they have Brady Kachuk, who's pretty young. Now they have, um, they just got Tim Stutzel. They, uh, Josh Sanderson. They, you know, Drake Batherson's another one. So they're, they're a pretty good young team there. Matt Murray's in the fold as well. So, um, so it. It's, it's not a bad move from the Sens' perspective, and, you know, maybe they can try to uh, contend this year um, and because they got a bunch of prospects. But um, at the same time, you know, I feel like they're not going to be good for this year, at least. Or maybe next year they'll start to take things more seriously. But So it's not a bad move for, for the Sens just in the long term. Um, relatively long term, but um, yeah, it's not necessarily the. I don't know if they're gonna win the cup with with Dadanov on their team right now. Well, it's tough to say because um, I'm pretty sure they need longer than three years yeah. to do that. Of course, of course. Um, but I think for the immediate future, this is great. Um, yep. I like the cap hit, only five million dollars. What's interesting is that. Um, you give them five million in year two, six point five million in year three, only three point five in the first year, and I'm betting it's because um, with the salary cap being the way that it is, and it's not going to be moving, a young team like Seattle might think twice about taking a contract over five million per. And if they take Dadnov, they're on the hook for eleven point five million over two years. So. Maybe that is Ottawa's way of saying, if you're going to take on Dad now, if you're going to be taking on a lot of money while you do it. So maybe that's this is a way of uh, them thinking twice. Uh, according to Cap Friendly, it's also noteworthy that uh, there might be a modified no trade attached to this, which I'm thinking oh. that's probably false. Yeah. Given what's been going on, I don't think anyone would want a no move or a no trade clause even attached to their deal but if that's true then a further testament to maybe people in the nhl community getting on board with what ottawa's doing because they yeah. definitely have a bright future um and and i'll get to that in a little bit when we, when i talk about uh, dadnov's numbers but uh, first what pierre dorian had to say about dadnov uh, apparently someone that ottawa targeted when free agency began um he feels that dadnov is someone who brings great offensive weapons to the table scores legit goals he can really shoot the puck he's smart offensively um competes to score his goals and um feels that it says a lot about where the Sens are going as a hockey team and he feels that ottawa is significantly better as a result of this so just by taking a look at the past three years it should be noted that before these past three years um he he had his first stint in florida which didn't go over well this was when he was in his early 20s and in, I think, 2010-2011, he had 17 points in 36 games. That was his by far his best NHL season. Um, he goes down to the minors, 
kind of struggles to find success there. So he goes back to Russia to kind of refine his game a little bit. And he spends a couple of years with SKA St. Petersburg in the KHL. And um, the resurgence in 2014-15 was a sign of things to come. He had 19 goals and 46 points in 53 games. Um, played in 22 playoff games that same year. Had 15 goals in those 22 games along with five assists. Uh, 2015-2016, he proves that strong season wasn't a fluke. He plays 59 games, scores 23 goals, adds another 23 assists for 46 points. His final year, a monster 30 goals, 36 assists, 66 points in 53 games. So that's well over a point per game at the KHL level. And um, then he, in, in between all that, he had two separate playoff runs with St. Petersburg. He had 12 goals and 28 points in 33 games during those two playoff runs. So that was after his 15-goal playoff run. Um, so then he goes back to the NHL, three seasons with Florida. He becomes a top six forward, a reliable top six forward for them. 28 goals, 65 points in 74 games. This is in 2017-18. Um, averaging over three minutes of power play time, six goals, seven assists on the power play. Overall, he appears in 18 minutes and 42 seconds every 60 minutes. So that's pretty good. 2018-19, again, another 28-goal season. This time he adds uh, 42 assists for a total of 70 points in 82 games. Um, so his points per game goes down a little bit, but his point total go goes up to 70. He has almost 200 shots to his name this time, uh, finishes the year with 195. Uh, once again, over three minutes of power play time, he, has, he averages 321 per game this time has eight goals and 17 power play points and his ice time slightly went down, but um, his point totals uh, still went up because of his reliance to score on the power play. This year, he has a whopping 11 power play goals and 17 power play points, but only has 47 points in 69 games, 25 of which are goals and only 167 shots on goal over those 69 games. His ice time went down to 17.06, so the decline in ice time is certainly noteworthy. Um, they also had uh, Mike Hoffman uh, to juggle on uh, the right side, too, so they're probably getting him his reps as well. Um, but for the most part, Dadnov has been one of the most underrated forwards in the league because everyone thinks, oh, Barkov and Huberto pad his stats, which if you look at the stats, yes, he's only scored 21 of his – 81 goals the past, um, three years. I think it's um, over the past three years. Yeah, over the past three years, 21 of his 81 goals have come without the help of Dadnov and Huberto, which is still a big amount. But according to Matt Larkin of the Hockey News, um, I believe I believe it's their possession numbers or the production numbers to project uh, one of the two. When you look at Barkov and Huberto, it went down – with uh, Bar without uh, this without Dadanov on their line, yep. And you look at Dadanov and his uh, production or possession numbers without Huberto and uh, Barkov, they actually weren't as bad compared to Barkov and Huberto's without Dadanov. So it's not like Dadanov needs Huberto and Barkov to be good. He is good. And when you go into Ottawa, you're going to be probably 
on the first power play unit with Brady Kachuk. You're going to be on the first line with Brady Kachuk. You'll have guys like Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, and yeah, uh, eventually Tim Stutzel as well. So I think this is going to work out well for Ottawa. I'm interested to see what he has to offer. And um, it, it's definitely the start of something new, something big in Ottawa, something that the Sens fans have been waiting for a long time. And I don't think it fully explains the Bobby Ryan bio, but maybe it explains it a little better because I or initially when they bought up Bobby Ryan, I'm thinking, well, who are they going to get in free agency? Probably right. nobody. Right. Um, so I think it was more of a shock that Dadnov is here, but uh, I'm certainly happy. It's 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 a good deal, and I think it, it benefits both sides here. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not sure if it's like Dadanoff's gonna be as good as he was on the the Panthers in the Sens. So just because I I do think there is like a factor of Huberdeau and Barkov are like are pretty good guy are pretty good players. So I think there he is going to miss them, but. At the same time, at three years for five million, and the Sens need to take risk at this point. Uh, it's, it's it's better than what they have been doing for the last couple of off seasons. So um, it's not a bad move for either side, but I'm not necessarily sure if you can expect like the same production as he has um, in Florida because he may just be a little bit worse uh, for wear. Because I do feel like he's one of those players that. Um, I know what you just said, but I, I feel like he's one of those players that uh, Barkov and Huberto make a lot better uh, than they actually are. Um, anyways, let's go to another team here. Uh, I guess we're just full with the Atlantic division here because we're going with the other Canadian team here. Uh, Joe Thornton uh, leaves the San Jose Sharks, and he's signing with the... Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, yeah, so he pulled a Patrick Marlowe is what yeah, he did. Yeah, basically, basically, basically. I had hoped that uh, the, he would sign with the Bruins just uh, just for nostalgia factors, but... Um, you still want him to win a cup, Brett? Because yeah, he's, I mean, he's probably going to have to do it with the Leafs now. Well, so here's the thing. if the Le- Well, first off, it's the Leafs, so I, I don't think he's winning the cup there. Uh, secondly, I if, 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 the, if hell does freeze over and the Leafs do win the Cup, I it would be the one shiny moment of, of, of that uh, Cup run where I'm like, okay, at least Joe Thornton gets a Cup. Um, and then I'll just forget about everyone else on um, winning the Cup. But now, uh, now, if you sign with Montreal, would you feel the same way? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's difficult. I... I actually, I mean, we've we had this discussion before. I, I kind of have a soft spot for Toronto just because uh, we went through the same, I, as a Red Sox fan in 2004, but at the same time, the Bruins fan in me is just like, uh, I, I can't do that. So it will be tough for me, but I, I am I am still going to root for him just for the nostalgia factor. Um, and, and if they treat him poorly, then I'm going to uh, hate them even more. So <laughs> we'll be, uh, it's like a positive and a negative in that way. Um, but anyways, yeah, he's going to the, the Maple Leafs. And he, I think the interesting thing about the Maple Leafs in, in their offseason right now, because they signed guys like Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton. They also signed Jimmy Vesey, who we mentioned last week. Um, 
And they are under they signed under a million dollars. And these are like good depth guys. And with their cap situation, they they can't afford to like buy guys who are like even paid more than like a million dollars or two million or something. So like these three guys still have some left in the tank and they can still, you know, make it. I mean Actually, I hadn't even thought about this, but I could ask you the same question about Jason Spezza. If Lelis win, you're, you know, Jason Spezza gets a cup. So I'd be fine with that. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think I'll, I'll be okay. I'll live if, if the Leafs win. But um, I am a little bit sad, mostly just because the Bru- I thought the Bruins would, uh, would want him, um, even though he would be like a fourth line guy. But um, I would take him just for the nostalgia factor. But I mean, like, he's still an effective guy, though. Like, yeah, still, he got 31 really points player, in yeah. 47 games with 76 shots on goal. Yeah. This is a guy that averaged, like, 15 minutes and 30 seconds per game, and he's 41. Yeah. So, like, those are pretty good numbers for a 41-year-old. The one part of the, the contract that I don't get, he's got a no-move. Yeah. Like, how many 41-year-olds get a no-move for the league minimum for a year? Yeah, that that is an interesting that part. I didn't realize that either. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe it's kind of like okay, I'll take the league minimum, but you can't you can't trade me, you know, to get like some futures. Like I'm helping you out with your salary cap, but you can't trade me. Right. So yeah. so maybe that was maybe that was bigger than like an extra three million, perhaps. Yeah. And that's why he signed it. Uh, and also, he at, he was asked, on reason he signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he just says, I need to win a Stanley Cup. So, um, good luck <laughs> with, with the Leafs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's interesting because it kind of sends the message that maybe the Sharks window is kind of running out. There was also another yeah. move that I really liked, um, the Leafs, and that was signing Joe Thornton's teammate Aaron Dell to a cheap one-year deal. Um, you look at his numbers in 33 games. Yeah, 12, 15, and 3 isn't a good record. Still at a 907 save percentage, better than Martin Jones in a few areas. Uh, the Leafs lost Casimir Kasky's lot of minutes with the AHL's Toronto Marlies. Maybe Aaron Dell fits into that role, but they gave him a one way, which means he would have to clear waivers. Right. Uh, um, if he was sent down to the AHL. And I think he would be a guy that a lot of teams would be willing to take on at a cap hit of like 800000 for a year. I think a lot of teams could have used this guy. And um, the fact that Toronto got him makes me believe that they want to give Jack Campbell and Freddie Anderson some serious competition and not that they would uh, kind of jeopardize Freddie Anderson's position, but yeah, maybe I think Campbell. Aaron Dell, it wouldn't be a shocker if he starts next year as the backup because yeah. I think he could really thrive in that role. That is if Jack Campbell, uh, like Jack Campbell was decent um, uh, last season too. So, but yeah, that does bring up a good point that maybe Jack Campbell um, is either trade bait or just goes back to the AHL because there is that one way, and I'm sure there are going to be teams that will uh, claim him on waivers if they do send him down. Um, mm-hmm. But it, maybe it's just an insurance, just in case Jack Campbell isn't, like, because he's been inconsistent, so maybe, like, towards, like, the middle of the year, they're like, and Jack Campbell is a good backup or has proven himself 
maybe right. then they start and to I be think like, they, okay, maybe we they can need insurance policy in a lot of areas, yeah. and goaltending is definitely one of them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, and then uh, we're going to go out of the Atlantic Division for a second here. Uh, Tony D'Angelo re-signs with the Rangers for $4.8 million for two years. I guess it's just to avoid uh, arbitration here. Um, that's not a bad deal. I, I, the Rangers have like an like affinity of defensemen here because you have Jacob Truba, D'Angelo, of course. Um, they also have Adam Fox. Um, then they have K. Andre Miller, Niles Longquist in the system, Lieber Hadjik. Um, is also in the system too, so um, I I do wonder, like it's it's not a bad contract, and it's probably gives them some some sense of security, but I do wonder if like if K Andre Miller pans out and Niles Lundqvist pans out, maybe they consider trading um Angelo, um D'Angelo for. Um, I almost said Angelo D'Angelo, uh, <laughs> Anthony D'Angelo for, um, for, uh, like in, in the future, maybe not this year, but maybe next year or something of that nature. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an, uh, interesting contract. He, he did have a pretty good year this year. So, um, it's, it's hard to say that he didn't, he's not worth that money. Yeah, so the interesting thing with the New York Rangers, and I'll I'll harken back uh, to the Seattle talk because it is a bit prevalent here. The good news is guys like Adam Fox, Igor Shizhurkin, and uh, Vitaly Krasov for the moment are not going to be are, are they're going to be exempt. Like Seattle can't take them. However, Philip Kedel is available, and Brett Howden is available. You look at the guys that have no moves. There is Shruba, Panarin, Kreider. Um, and I think there's someone else, but there's, there's at least three Fords that have uh, no moves on the Rangers. Um, so, or, uh, or at least three Pan players. Panarin, Kreider, and Sabinajad. All of the okay. movements. Oh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure of Sabinajad, but okay. So he's got a new move. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Kreider's the interesting one there too. Yep. Um, so maybe... Because you look at the Rangers, outside of Truba, they don't really have anyone that Seattle might be willing to, to take, so they could just go and try and like protect eight skaters. But if one of Howden yeah. or, or Keetle is um, still available for, for Vegas to take, maybe they'll just say, we'd really like you if you don't take this guy, but we'll give you Tony D'Angelo yeah. um, instead of you taking this guy. So he could be used uh, for, for Seattle's uh, expansion draft uh, there, too. Cause, like, Although, he had I don't know if I would do that, but I, I feel like I'd rather have D'Angelo than uh, Heedle or uh, Howden. But, I mean, who knows? Yeah, it's, it's just weird because, like, Philip Keedle, like, oh, there was a time where him and, like, Leas Anderson were oh, considered, yeah. like, future Rangers. Yeah. But um, it given the fact that they have Lafreniere and Kako in the mix, uh, they could be expandable. You're right. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I, I could see don't... that. I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, like a good, a valuable defenseman is a lot more, um, harder to find than a center. Um, and, True. and also like the way that they use Hedl, it's like, uh, like they, they give him like fourth line minutes. 
uh, most nights. So it's like, I feel like they're not necessarily going to try to protect Heedle um, instead of uh, D'Angelo. So, um, mm-hmm. so just, I, I feel like there is something there, but getting back to your point of a, a trade, I can definitely see that as well. Like, yeah. 30 points um, the season before where he just took a cheap one-year deal and turned it into um, a monster season where he had like 15 goals, 53 points. Um, He had 57 block shots as well, Um, only 149 shots, and he still got 19 power play points over three minutes with the extra man. Someone that can average like 19 to 20 minutes for you definitely – other than Truba, the Rangers' best defenseman that they still have, um, I would say better than Jack Johnson, who they got for cheap. Um, but I think in terms of, like, future defense, um, maybe D'Angelo could use his trade bait to get, like, a veteran presence. Like, I know they just trade away Mark Stahl, but I feel like they'll need that veteran defenseman later. Um, it's, it's it's just probably the 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 ship had sailed with Mark Stahl and it was time to move on there. Yep. But um, I can definitely see the Rangers trading him for cap reasons because if he has another monster season, given the fact that you're going to have to resign all your young guys at some point, I don't know if D'Angelo fits in their long term plans. So um, you're right. I definitely question the long term future of D'Angelo in a Rangers sweater, but at the very least. He's got two years to prove that he can get his money either in New York or elsewhere, and the Rangers have some time to figure out how to shape their defense moving forward. So um, I, th- I think it's a good short-term deal for both sides. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, okay, so now we go back to the Atlantic Division here. Uh, yeah. Matt, <laughs> Matt Grizzlick uh, signs with the Bruins for 3.8, uh, sorry, 3.687 um, million for four years. Uh, that's a really good deal because I thought he was going to get like four million. Uh, so I don't know how, like, Sweeney may has definitely some questionable moves in the draft and in some free agency and, and even some trades, but he definitely knows how to re sign his, his guys. So, um, that's a pretty good deal for them. Um, and especially since, like, Matt Grizzlick is a left handed defenseman, um, I don't think it's it's a Krug replacement, but maybe they will. Um, the interesting thing about Grizzlick is that um, when Krug has been injured, uh, the guy who had the defenseman who has taken over on the power play isn't Charlie McAvoy, which I think it should be, but it has been Matt Grizzlick. Um, so maybe, however, like it's not like Grizzlick has been so great on the power play that it's maybe they do start to go with um, McAvoy on the power play as well, but that is an interesting development that maybe they they consider him the crew replacement or something, which if the case, I'm not sure I love that so much. Um, the Bruins also have uh, six million six point six million in cap space. They. They only have uh, Jake DeBrus left to resign. Uh, he's an RFA. Um, I guess the only ones that are out there are Mike Hoffman and Anthony Duclair. Maybe um, Andreas Athanasiu, Alex Galchenyuk's another one. But 
all four of those guys have a bit of a risk factor to them, so I'm not necessarily sure I love the factor of buying them for too much, um, but maybe if the prices start to go down, maybe um, maybe they're going to be worth it. Um, and maybe they go first. I, I'm hoping that they still sign Sammy Vatanen because of, of that thing, but who knows. And I guess also they have Zdeno Chara um, left also to sign as well. So um, although he's a UFA, so he could be a Bruin um, or he could go to another team and he's free to do so. But um, yeah, so the Bruins still need to address stuff. I'm I am getting a little bit restless because I, I like I do like this Macrosilic move, but there has to be more than just Craig Smith and Greg McKegg. Um So um, I I do I feel like there's a trade coming. I'm just not sure when that's going to be or if they're going to win it. So um, you think it involves Jake DeBrusque? Yeah, definitely possible that it's going to involve Jake DeBrusque because. If they, because the thing is, is with I love Jake DeBrusque. Uh, I've mentioned that a lot, but the thing with him is, is that he's so inconsistent that it's hard to really trust him. But on the other hand, he is a twenty-four-year-old, so you kind of have to give him some slack. Um, and he's better than the other options on the left-handed side. That's not named Marshawn. So um, I think they they might deal DeBrusque because I think they might have to. Um, but I'm not, but it better be like for someone who's like a, a known consistent contributor on, on the team. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure who that would be. Um, but it would have to be like someone that would either fill the role that Krug has replaced or, uh, become a winger for, uh, Krejci's line. Um, and, and is known to be more consistent than than Jake DeBrusque is. Um, the more I think about Oliver ekman Larson to Boston, the more it makes sense now. Yeah, I still, I mean, well, Oliver ekman Larson said that he gave a deadline that he doesn't want to be traded after the, like, once free agency started, so I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah, well, Mark Birchman also said he wasn't shopping P.K. Subban I know, and then he I got know. traded a week later. I know, so but anything can happen in the league, bud. I know, but it's still it's a different situation. Um, so I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, maybe maybe it will, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And if, it, if they trade Jake DeBrust for OEL, I'm not sure I love that move. Because uh, unless they retain some salary. Um, but I don't, I don't think I love it because at eight, eight million. Uh, so, so yeah. And they would have to move more than Jake DeBrus cause they're dealing with like 6 million here. So I don't think that would necessarily work out, but they'd have to make some moves. Um, I mean, I guess they did get Andre Cache and we didn't, um, in the trade deadline and we didn't like, he, he had his moments in the bubble. So that is a, Technically, that is like an off-season acquisition, but I feel like I'm that's like a horrible way of looking at it. So um, I feel like they have to do more than than what they have um, because I I don't think they're gonna win with the team that they have right now. Yeah, no, for sure they need to they need to add something, whether it's a big defensive yeah. piece, offensive piece on the wing. Um, yeah, uh, there's also like Mike Hoffman, the best. 
goal scorer available. I feel like in the, in the case of Mike Hoffman, I feel like a lot of teams are thinking, you know, with with this with this cap thing, you know, maybe yeah. we just keep waiting a, a, another week and another week and another week, and hopefully get Hoffman for cheap on a one year yeah. deal. Because um, I feel that's what a lot of teams are doing. They're playing the waiting game. They don't want to break the bank in in a right. pandemic where the cap is dead set to a certain number for a couple of years. Um, so I think a lot of teams are playing the waiting game there. I think it's probably going to be the same scenario with Semi Vatnin. And I also think a lot of other yep. teams are trying to focus on their RFAs. And this is one RFA that Boston doesn't have to worry about anymore, the other being yeah. Jake DeBrusque. Um, the thing, reason why I mentioned Arizona is now that Taylor Hall's gone and just how the things have changed with the team, um, I, I just feel like Arizona ownership feels like, you know what, it, it, it might be wise to get some futures because um, the way things are going, we're not looking so hot. And like Vancouver is already gotten Nate Schmidt in a deal mm-hmm. with Vegas. So their need for a defenseman has kind of shrunk a little bit and probably they won't have the money to afford Oliver Ekman Larson. So we might as well just focus on Boston because that was the yeah. other team he was interested in. Right. And they have some guys that we need. So I guess it all depends on how eager both sides are, are willing to make a deal. In terms of Grizzlick, um, like he got 112 shots on goal last year, 21 points. That's not too bad. Um, I think part part of the reason why you you might be hesitant as a Bruins fan to kind of like put your trust in him is because you haven't seen him in a in an increased workload yet. Yep. I think if he he's getting you 18 to 19 minutes on the blue line right now, if you give him like 20 or 21 minutes, maybe he quietly gets you 30 to 35 points. Yep. Or maybe you get a guy like Sammy Vatnin to do that. Who knows? But. Um, I definitely think Grizzlick is a guy that fits their defense, can certainly give you good production. Um, I think if they wanted to, if they want to get rid of a bad contract, I think John Moore's contract would be the first one I get rid of Of because that, that does, that hasn't aged well at all. No, no. Yeah. He, a lot of the times he's the seven D man. That's for sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, but I guess on the point of OEL is, it's a little bit different than the Bergevin saying that he's not trading P.K. Subban because OEL has a no-trade clause. So he controls everything's in OEL's hands. Um, mm-hmm. And OEL has public... So it's not like a GM like saying, like, oh, we're, we might not trade this guy. Uh, you never know. Like we, We're just not trading this guy. Whereas it's different for a player because I'm sure the Coyotes do want to trade OEL. But it's up to OEL to want to be traded because he has that no trade clause. Um, so, so I don't think that's why I don't think it's going to happen because he it's it's the player. It's not it's not the GM. Um, and mm-hmm. also on Mike Hoffman, I was reading more up on him, and I guess it's like a lot of his points are on the power play. Yep. Um, and there's some concern on that. Also, the factor of like he's t- about to turn thirty-one. Um, I was, I was on the fence, and then there's also that whole like drama with him and Eric Carlson a couple of years ago too. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
and like who knows what actually happened during that time but it's like and I know that's not necessarily that's more on his wife than his um than him but like you, you, that's like that's another risk factor on top of like the fat flat cap, um, and just teams waiting for for him. This is maybe Mike Hoffman will take a a deal for less just because um, because there isn't as much interest in him. Well, I, th- I think guys. that that issue is going to be brought up again. I don't think it's going to be made public as to what the Bruins or whoever's interested in Hoffman asked him, but I think it would be wise for the team, the next suitor for Mike Hoffman getting him to say, okay, what was the deal behind this? Because if his significant other, um, even if, even if the, his significant other was 50% or 75% or a hundred percent of the problem of what was happening there you're going to be there's a chance that this significant other is going to be a part of team events yeah you don't want that significant other becoming the problem of something that's happening with your team so you need to make sure that if you bring in mike hoffman and his significant other gets involved in like big team events that's not going to become a distraction for you because at that point it becomes your problem yeah, and the Bruins I, certainly don't want that. Oh yeah, of course. I I guess there's that factor too. I wasn't thinking of it like from a team chemistry f- fact point, but I just know that there is some concerns because you don't really know what happened. Because it is it is also yep. very possible that Eric Carlson was uh, was just you know their side was just telling lies or something, but. We know like something happened and we're not entirely sure what's going yeah. on. Something yeah. happened that rocked the boat. That yeah, exactly. much we that much we know about. Exactly. So um, of course Hoffman is a very skilled player. He can score goals at will, it seems. So um, so yeah, he he's also the best player available. But at the same time, you don't want to break the bank and you also like know that that's pretty much all he can do is score goals at will. So yeah, that's also, and like especially that's when you part. look at the yeah. Bruins' power play, yeah, it's it was top three in the league without Mike Hoffman. Yep, and like you're you're putting him on the wing. Like in, in Florida, had a great power play, but the guy mostly on the first power play unit was Dadnoff. Yep, not Hoffman. So at the end of the day if you put him on like the second power play unit or he's a second line or a third line guy how much are you going to get out of him and yeah. that's i think the other team you, that the other thing you got to be concerned about when agreeing to term and dollars is what's his role going to be yeah. and what do you think he can do in that role of course all right so that about does it for us here at uh lace them up our uh, I guess we'll keep you guys posted on on what our schedule is in the off season, but mm-hmm. for the time being, it might just be once a week, um, like normally. But we might take, we might do it like uh, the other off season and just do it every other week. But we have to discuss that. Uh, yeah, anyways. it depends. It depends on how much news we have, exactly. how much big game news we have to talk about we'll this week. It. We had quite yeah. a bit. We had enough to make an episode, but. It might not be like that every week, so it depends. Exactly. So we're going to take it by ear. Um, anyways, we're going to... So you can catch us on iTunes. You can catch us on Spotify with Lace Them Up. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up as well, though we don't really update it that often. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Um, and that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. 
I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 242 of the Lace Em Up podcast.